This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Delighted you could join me this evening, especially if you're a fan of the darker moments of radio drama. An excellent example of this genre is offered up in another episode of The Whistler, an American radio program running for a total of 13 years, 1942 till 1955. It was one of the most popular mystery dramas of its time. Signal Oil Company sponsored the program, and the marketing catchphrase was, Let that whistle be your signal for the Signal Oil program, The Whistler. Episodes begin with the ominous narration, one which you'll soon hear, the words spoken along with the echo of footsteps in Wilbur Hatch's 13-note theme, whistled weekly by Dorothy Roberts for 13 years. The stories followed an effective formula in which a person's criminal acts were typically undone by their own stupidity. The whistler narrated, often commenting directly on the action and taunting the criminal. The whistler seldom featured any major Hollywood stars, but the quality of writing and performance made it a radio mainstay. Tonight's episode is entitled, The Alibi. Wait a minute. Have you heard the strange tales of the whistler? I'm the whistler. I've come to the end of my rope. I've tried my best for 20 years to please Agatha. I gave up my painting and tried business after business and failed in every venture. Now, I, I can't go on any longer. I'm through. Another Sunday night, and again, CBS presents The Whistler. the whistler know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales, many secrets hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. And so I tell you tonight the amazing story of the alibi. Poor Henry Farrington paces the library floor. Through his mind run the events of the past 20 years, from the day when he married the wealthy young widow Agatha Durant. Henry hadn't a dollar of his own then, nothing but charm. He still hasn't a dollar of his own, and now very little charm. Henry was a struggling artist, but Agatha was a businesswoman and was determined to make Henry a businessman. And Henry had tried, tried hard. Agatha backed him in venture after venture, bossing him, completely dominating his every moment. But Henry experienced nothing but failure. And gradually, Agatha's love turned to disgust. 
And now, 20 years later, his artistic talent long since vanished, he realizes what a wreck Agatha has made of him. What are you doing in here, Henry? Morning, Agatha. I said, what are you doing? Why, I'm just thinking. Hmm, that's what I thought. What are you doing with the lights on in the daytime? Why, it's cloudy this morning. A bit dull in here. You don't need lights to think. Turn them out. Yes, Agatha. Are you going to do nothing but mope around again today? What do you want me to do? You know what day this is? Why, uh, no. What day is it? Perhaps I've forgotten. You'd forget your head if it weren't tied on. It's the first of the month. You go into town and collect the rent on the store buildings. Very well, Agatha. Shall I deposit it in the bank? No. Bring it back here. And hang on to it. You lost it last time. Or so you said. I did lose it. Hmm. You need a nursemaid to follow your every move. You've done a pretty good job of it. Did you order the garden hose yesterday? No, I... I forgot it. I had a lot on my mind. Yeah? What's bothering you now? Well, I've got a chance to get in on a pretty good deal. I need some money. What kind of a deal? Well, it's uh, an oil lease deal. Who with? Uh, Joe Hammond. A 50-50 proposition. Joe Hammond? You know better than to talk to me about Joe Hammond. He's done pretty well. Yes, for himself. Double-crossed everybody he ever came in contact with. He's a good lawyer. You mean he was. Good thing I caught up with him and had him disbarred. He'd have stolen every dime I have. It only takes $2,000. $2,000? Add up all the thousands I've given you to put over business deals, and you'd have a fortune. You haven't done nothing of business sense in your whole body. I never said I had. That was your idea. You started me on my business career, and you can take the consequences. What do you mean by that? I'm going in on that deal. I need $2,000. And one way or another, I'm going to get it. I wish I knew what you mean. You'll know later. Where are you going? Into town to collect the rents. You better bring it back with you. I will, Agatha. I'll bring the rent and... And what? And the hose. Of course. Good morning, Agatha. Threatening me. Well, I'll soon fix him. Agatha stands staring after him. Terrible thoughts race through her mind. Thoughts of fear... Disgust, hatred, money, death, revenge. Her head begins to whirl. She can scarcely breathe. Her eyes bulge in terror. She clutches at her heart, her throat. Higgins! Higgins! Higgins, the butler, rushes in, realizes at once that Agatha has had another of her heart attacks, carries her to the Davenport gives her a dose of her stimulant, and calls Dr. Johnson. I heard her call to me, but she was unconscious when I reached her, Dr. Johnson. I gave her some of her heart medicine. And I don't remember her having one of these attacks for several months, Higgins. She's had one a week for the last four or five weeks, Doctor. Oh, dear. Well, she'll pull out of it in a few minutes. Her heart's in a terrible condition. She's been under some extreme emotional strain. Oh, yes, yes, yes. She's coming around now. Ah, morning, Agatha. Hmm? Oh, what are you doing here? <laughs> well, you haven't been eating enough apples. <laughs> Who 
sent for you? What's happened? Why, well, ma'am, you had another attack. I called Dr. Johnson. Attack? Nonsense. Oh, it isn't nonsense, Agatha. You've had one of the worst attacks you've ever had. Believe me, if you don't drop all this business worry and control your temper, well, you won't have many more. Oh, bosh. Tell me, what brought this on, Agatha? Some deal turn out badly, lose little money someplace? No, I didn't. Oh, all right, Agatha. But I'm warning you, you'd better slow down, forget business, and control that temper. Do you realize what your blood pressure is? No, and I don't care. Oh, dear. Henry must have pulled a dilly. Who said anything about Henry? Oh, no, no, no. Take it easy, Agatha. You know, you're your own worst enemy. Well, I'll be running along. Good. (laughs) Plenty of rest and quiet and no temper. Goodbye, Agatha. Goodbye. around town for a half hour and finally gets up sufficient courage to see Joe Hammond, the ex-lawyer. Well, Henry, have you got the 2000 Well, no, that is not exactly, Joe. When will you have it? I can raise it, but it'll take a little longer than you gave me. Now, look, Henry, I bought that lease and gave my check for 4000 Your check bounced. You didn't have a dime and you knew it. Now I'm caught short because of you. You'd better dig up the 2000 or I'm turning it over to the county attorney. I'll get it, Joe. How will you get it? I'll figure it out. Did you ask your wife? Yes. But she refused when I told her it was a deal with you. Oh, you're a sap, Henry. You know she hates me. I've told her she was all wrong about you. I couldn't stand to be around a woman like that. Uh, sometimes I... Well, I can hardly stand it myself. I, I'd kill her. What did you say? I said I'd feed her ground glass. She's done enough to me. And if I had to put up with her as you have, well, I'd do something about it. What would you do, Joe? I'd wring her neck. I can't stand a bossy woman. You'd kill her, would you? Oh, well, I'm just speaking figuratively. You tried hard, Henry. You've done your very best to be a successful businessman. It isn't your fault. So far, you failed, and she's sore about it. Left her entire fortune to her niece. I'm the nitwit of a girl just out of school. I know, but she took out a $50,000 policy payable to me. Oh, what good does that do you? If you die first... But she isn't very well, Joe. Eh, she may live for years. You may bump off tomorrow. Yeah, of course, I doubt that. Nothing wrong with you that a uh, bank account wouldn't fix. Is that? No, I guess not. Ah, she's got all the money she'll ever need. She's not in a jam. She's seen everything. And we'll all go to that niece. Uh, except the insurance made out to you. Uh, that's payable in a few days, you know, after death. Yeah? I'm in a jam, Henry, and you're in a jam. You better start figuring some way out. I'll give you to the end of the week, Saturday at noon. You mean you must have the money by then? Oh, no, no, not necessarily money. Just, uh, well, just some sort of uh, assurance that you know where you can uh, really get it. I see. Yeah. Well, think it over. And I'll always be around if you want any uh, legal advice. Thanks, Joe, for the extension. I'll be in touch with you. Agatha is in her room now, sleeping. Her niece has come home from college, having graduated, and brings with her a young man. The two young people are waiting for the aunt to wake up. Well, believe me, Janet, this is certainly a swell place. I had no idea it was like this. I thought you'd like it, Grant. I've never lived in a house with more than six rooms. This place must have at least 15. More than that, darling. Mm -hmm. 
Your Aunt Agatha certainly must have a lot of money to be able to keep a place like this. She has. She has more than she knows what to do with. What did the butler say happened to her? Well, she, she had another attack. It's her heart. She has a terrible temper and pays no attention to the doctor's warnings about getting excited. According to Higgins, the doctor said he doubted if she could stand another like the one today. Hmm. Must be in pretty bad shape. Do you think she'll like me, Janet? Why shouldn't she? I do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I warn you, she's a sour face and grouchy. But don't let her upset you. She'll get used to you. I love you very much, Grant. That's all that really matters. I love you, Janet. More than anything in the world. Uh, your uh, aunt will see you now, Miss Janet. Thanks. Come along, Grant. All right. You wait outside the door. I, I want to talk to her first. I'll try to get her in a good humor. Boy, this is a tense moment. I feel like I'm going before a judge. Hello, Aunt Agatha. How do you feel? I feel all right. How long have you been here? Oh, about half an hour. Sorry to hear you had another attack today. You should take things more calmly. That's easier said than done. How's Uncle Henry? He's in town. Good for nothing, man. Oh, I wouldn't say that. What do you know about it? Nothing. Oh, I think I know Uncle Henry rather well. All men are the same. I wouldn't trust one around the street. Well, that's a matter of opinion. Um, Aunt Agatha, I... Well, I... Well, well, what's on your mind? What are you trying to say? I have a surprise for you. Surprise? What do you mean? I brought a guest home with me. A guest? Huh? Least you could do was warn me. Who is she? It isn't a girl. Who, then? Just a minute. Come in, Grant. Aunt Agatha, this is Grant. Grant? Grant who? Grant Collins. I'm very happy to meet you, Mrs. Farrington. What's he doing here? He's going to stay here for a while. Why? Well, because... Because I asked him to. Well, I didn't ask him. But, Aunt Agatha, you don't understand. I understand, all right. And I don't need any explanations. Is this an example of what you've been doing at college, running around with men? Well, this is different. Grant is more than just a friend. I... I have enough trouble around here now without taking on any more. You'll have to leave at once. Well, you don't know what you're saying. I certainly do. Well, perhaps I can explain You it. keep out of this. This doesn't concern you. I'm afraid it does concern him, Aunt Agatha. Well, who is he? Where'd you meet him? What does he do? Well... I'm just an ordinary person. I haven't come from any great family, if that's what you mean. And I haven't any money. What's your business? Well, I haven't any regular line. I've done a lot of things. But I'll hit on something. Hmm. Another one. Just like Henry. You ought to have more sense than that, Janet. But I love Grant. Nonsense. And I love Janet. Young man, you better leave this house before I lose my temper. I'm not going to have my niece throwing herself away on a nobody. Now get out. Just a minute, Aunt Agatha. This is my home, too. Grant is here at my request. Is that so? Your home, Hank. It's your home only so long as I choose to make it so. You're my heir. But if you dare to defy me, I'll change that quicker than you can bat an eye. Oh, you're jumping to conclusions. After you get to know me better, I... I think you'll like me, Aunt Agatha. Aunt Agatha? What do you mean by Aunt Agatha? I'm your nephew. Uh, uh, did you say nephew? Yes, he did. Grant and I are married. Married? We were married today. Oh, <laughs> How dare you? How dare you do such a thing without consulting now, please, me? Now, please, Don't let yourself get excited. Get out of here. Get out. But please, Mrs. Farrington, give me a chance to explain. This marriage will be annulled immediately, Janet. Or I'm through with you. Do you hear? I'll change the will and leave you nothing. It's final. Now get out. Get out, both of you. Leave me alone. Get out. Come on, Grant. Let's leave her alone before she has another attack. Well, do you think we should? I'm all right now. Leave me alone. Say, uh... I never expected anything like this. Neither did I. She certainly is in a bad way. Yes, 
I didn't realize it was quite this serious. She's in a terrible mental state. Well, this is a pretty situation for us. Well, I don't want you to leave, darling. You, you'd better wait a few days until, until she's better. There must be some way to win her over. Oh, I, I hope you're right. I'll have a talk with Uncle Henry. Something's happened to cause all this. I'll find out as soon as he comes in. Now, don't worry, darling. Everything will be all right. I hope so. I'll just keep out of her way for a few days and see what develops. Now, long after dinner, Uncle Henry sits alone in the library, deeply lost in thought. On the desk before him is a small calibered revolver. His fingers toy with the weapon. And as the door opens, he slips the gun into his desk drawer. Janet closes the door and steps into the room. Uncle Henry. Huh? Oh, come in, Janet. I wanted to talk with you alone. Talk with me? Very well. What is your opinion of Grant? Why, I like him. Fine boy. Do you suppose it would do any good if you talked to Aunt Agatha? I? You know as well as I do how she feels about me. And in her eyes, Grant is an exact counterpart of me. She thinks it's the same situation over again. And she's determined that you won't have to put up with a failure as she did with me. But how does she know he'll be a failure? I'm her yardstick for all men without means. What happened today to cause the heart attack? Her violent temper. But there must have been a reason. Yes, Janet, there was. I had a deal on. And I needed $2,000. She flew into a rage and had the attack after I left the house. What on earth are we going to do about it? I don't know, Janet. As for me, well, I've come to the end of my rope. I've tried my best for 20 years to please her. Now, well, I... I just can't go on any longer. I'm through. What do you mean? Just that. There's nothing left for me now. I'm too old to try anything new. Too old to go back to my painting, and Agatha is becoming more resentful every day. I'm... I'm... I'm licked. Uncle Henry, are you trying to tell me that... that you're planning something? Planning something, my dear? What do you mean? You mustn't, Uncle Henry. Regardless of how you feel, there's still much to live for. Is there? You've always been so kind and good to me. I just couldn't stand it if you were to... No, 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 please, darling. <laughs> I'm much older than you are. Well, I just see things differently, that's all. And it's been terrible lonely in this house since you've been gone. Now it'll become lonelier and lonelier. Filled with hatred and greed and resentment. And I couldn't stand Promise it. Promise me. Promise me you won't do anything foolish. Janet, whatever I do will be for the best. Please believe me. Everything will come out for the best. Around 12 o'clock that night, Janet, Grant, and Henry go to their rooms. And the big house settles down to sleep. Then, two hours after midnight, Agatha stirs uneasily in her bed. An eerie figure in white stands beside her. She opens her eyes. Uh, who's there? I want you, Agatha Perry. <gasps> Aunt Agatha! Aunt Agatha! Good heavens! Brian, Uncle Henry, hurry! What's happened? I heard a scream. Janet! Janet, what was it? There's a medicine. Give her a dose. I'll rub her wrists. She's as cold as ice. What on earth could have happened? A nightmare? She's had quite a shock. Her 
pulse is fairly strong. Uh, she's coming too. Oh. Oh. What happened? Well, you screamed. You had fainted when we got here. Yes. Yes. There was someone in this room. I saw it. Saw what? I don't know what it was. It was a figure in white. Auntie, you, you must have had a nightmare. Maybe so. It, it could have been a nightmare, but it seemed so real. Look. The windows of the balcony is open. Did you open it, Aunt Agatha? No. No, I never keep it open. Look outside, Grant. You mean it might have been a burglar? My diamonds. It could have been a burglar. And your scream frightened him away. Look in the box in the drawer. I did. They're all here. Not a sign of anyone outside. Do you feel better now? What's happened, ma'am? Anything wrong? No, Higgins, nothing's wrong. Go back to bed, all of you. I'll be all right. And lock that balcony window. Now it is the next night. Uncle Henry is sitting alone at the desk in the library, lost again in a deep study. Grant and Janet are in the living room. You really think it might have been a prowler last night, Grant? Well, I don't know. The window was open. It could have been. I'm inclined to think it was nothing more than a nightmare. She's, she's been so upset lately. Well, if it was a burglary, he didn't get anything. Well, that's true. He might try it again. If he does, he's liable to get a good scare. What do you mean? This. Grant, where did you get that revolver? Out of my trunk. Oh, please, Grant, I, I don't like guns. Let them take what they want. If, if you start shooting, they're liable to shoot back. Besides, jewels can be replaced. Now, don't worry, darling. I couldn't shoot anyone if I tried. Anyway, there are no bullets in it. Then what good is it? Well, it's a little thirty-two I use in school for a starting gun. It has nothing but blanks in it. Yeah, see? It won't hurt anyone, but it'll give them a good scare. Well, blanks or no blanks, I don't like guns around. Now, don't worry, darling. Oh, good heavens, it's 7.30. I'd better get dressed or we'll be late for the Morrison party. Oh, yeah, you better hurry. I'm all ready. I want to see about the car. Oh, uh, Higgins. Yes, sir. Come in, sir. I was just having a little coffee and a bite to eat. Would you care for anything, sir? No, no, thanks. Uh, did Rollins check my tires and gas? I did, sir. Rollins and the others are all off tonight. I put your car in front. Oh, thanks. Excuse me, sir. Paddington residence? Yes? Oh, yes, Mr. Hammond. He's dozing in the library. I'll get him. What? Oh, oh, I see. Yes. Yes, I'll tell him. Goodbye. Joe Hammond wants Mr. Farrington to come over to his place this evening. I'll tell him. Excuse me, sir. Anything else I can do for you? Oh, no, no. I'll be running along in a few minutes. Uh, by the way, uh, since Mr. Farrington's going out, you'd better look in on Mrs. Farrington once in a while. Oh, I will, sir. Grant and Janet drive to the Morrison's estate to attend the charity lawn party. And Henry goes to talk things over with Joe Hammond, the ex-lawyer who holds Henry's bad check. Then toward midnight, the lawn party breaks up and Grant and Janet return home. Well, that was a wonderful party, Grant. I never saw so many people, friends I haven't seen for four years. I was thrilled to death. Yes, it was quite an affair. I wonder how much they raised. Good many thousands, I imagine. And did that red-headed gal sell war bonds? <laughs> I'll run up and see how Aunt, Ag Aunt Agatha is. I'll be right down. Right. Uh, I think I'll have a nightcap. Want one? No, thanks. Hello, Grant. Oh, hello. Party over already? Yeah, big affair. Had a great time. I got to talking business with Joe Hammond, and first thing I knew, it was almost midnight. Grant! Grant, call Dr. Johnson! What? Uh, Janet, what is it? Aunt Agatha! Come quickly, Uncle Henry. Call Dr. Johnson, Grant. 
you can't get him, call the emergency hospital. Get a police ambulance. I'm still trying to get Dr. Johnson, Janet. Never mind, Grant. Police surgeon says he won't. He won't need Dr. Johnson. Did he pull her out of the attack? No. He couldn't do a thing for her. She was dead when they got here. Good heavens. Well, she must have had a severe attack. Well, you see, Grant, I... Just a minute, folks. I'd like to ask a few questions, and I'd prefer that you didn't carry on any conversation with each other. No conversation? Well, what's he mean, Janet? Never mind. I'll get around to that. Take all their fingerprints, Davis, while I'm talking. Yeah, Captain. Yep. I demand an explanation. What do you mean, fingerprints? How long have you known Janet Farrington? Oh, about six weeks. Where did you meet her? We had a dance, a party. Did you know all about her? Who she was, her family? Certainly. What do you know about him? Well, I just knew I loved him and that was enough. I take it your financial condition is not so good, Grant. Well, no, I haven't any money, but what's that to do with it? Did Agatha Farrington object to your marriage? Yes, she did. She threatened to change her will unless we had the marriage and no, but... Did you I... care whether that happened, Grant? Well, certainly. I didn't want Janet to lose her inheritance. What are you getting at? Grant had nothing to do with it, I tell you. I know what you're inferring, and it's ridiculous. Grant didn't marry me for my money. Uh, what's this about prowlers around the house? Well, we aren't sure there were prowlers. Agatha claimed someone was in her room last night. The window was wide open, but we aren't sure about it. It was a nightmare. Well, she did keep some jewelry in her room, and from the looks of the room, someone certainly went through it thoroughly. Who knew about where she kept the jewelry? Why, all three of us knew. And Higgins the butler knew about it. Where's Higgins? Why, I never thought of that. Probably in his room. I'll look. Higgins. Higgins. He's unconscious. Yeah. He's been blackjacked. Higgins. Higgins. Uh, 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 Farrington. What's wrong? Who slugged you? Slugged me? Why, I've been asleep. That's what you think. Feel the bump on your head. Uh, uh, good heavens. Did you hear any shots tonight? Shots? No, no, I was in my room. I must have dozed off in the chair. And it must have been a burglar. What goes on here? Anyone would think you were trying to cook up a murder. No, Grant. The murder's already been done. What? Yes. Mrs. Farrington was shot in the chest. Twice. Shot? But, but that's not possible. Shot? Uh, here you are, Captain. We found this gun in the young fellow's room. It's been fired twice. Oh, this is silly. That's a starting gun. Nothing but blanks in it. Who fired it? What? I, I... I haven't the slightest idea. All right, Davis. Take the gun and the bullets from Mrs. Farrington's body and have ballistics check on them. Well, young fellow, according to the ballistics test, the bullets that killed her were fired from your gun. But it isn't possible, I tell you. My gun had nothing but blanks. And there were no fingerprints but yours. I'm afraid you're stuck with this deal. No, please. Please, listen. I couldn't have done it. You had a motive, a gun, and an opportunity. And furthermore, you left that party for a half hour tonight. We checked on it. We have a witness who saw you leave. All right, what if I did? My gun has blanks in it. Oh, please believe me. I couldn't bring myself to do such a thing. I, I couldn't. You killed Mrs. Farrington, and you might as well admit it. I didn't. I didn't shoot her. I swear I never wait, touched wait, it. I... I can't stand by and see an innocent person suffer for this. The boy didn't do it. I did it. I had a better reason. I planned it. I'd have enough of Agatha, and I, I was caught in a jam. I did it to get the insurance she left me. I was desperate. I came back and slugged Higgins while he was asleep, shot Agatha, and left the house. I don't believe you. You're trying to cover up for him, but it won't hold water. We've got him dead to rights. But I couldn't have killed her. I only wanted to scare her. I... What? Go ahead. 
Nothing. And you did come back here. Spill it. Well, all right, I did come back. Grant, what are you saying? I had the gun, but there were nothing but blanks in it. I dope Piggins' coffee before I left the house. I came back and went to her room. I fired the blank. Why? Well, I knew she had a weak heart. I figured the shock would bring on her death. I was the figure in her bedroom. I couldn't see Janet lose her fortune, but I didn't want to give her up. Grant, how could you? I can't believe it. I tell you, I came back and shot her. If he fired blanks, then I must have fired the bullets that actually killed her. Look at his gun. Real bullets in it. What? Why, they are bullets. Where's your gun, Paddington? Here. Open it. Great Scott. Why, they're blanks. That settles it. Come on, young fella. We've had enough talk about this. The evidence is all against you. Yes, Grant. The evidence is all against you. And nothing can save you now. Try as he might, Henry can never convince anyone that he planned to kill Agatha. Although it is true he did come back and fire at her, just as you did, Grant. But it was definitely you and your gun that fired the fatal bullets. Of course, I know what you're wondering. How did the real bullets get in your revolver? (laughs) You know, don't you, Janet? Tell us what happened. I saw Uncle Henry put a revolver in his desk as I stepped into the library that night. I was afraid he was going to kill himself. When Grant showed me his gun with the blanks, I switched the shells in their guns to keep Uncle from committing suicide. You see, I, I never dreamed that Grant had a plan afoot caused my aunt's death by mental murder. (laughs) There you are. Another tale of greed and revenge and hatred, all unraveled as neatly as you please. CBS has presented The Whistler. Original music for this production was composed and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. The Whistler is written and directed by J. Donald Wilson and comes to you from Columbia Square in Hollywood. Next Sunday, same time... I, The Whistler, will return to tell you another unusual tale. Stay tuned for The Life of Riley next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for William Bendix to star in The Life of Riley. The American Meat Institute presents The Life of Riley, a half hour with radio's friendliest family and starring William Bendix as Riley. And now, The Life of Riley. Well, it's a fine spring evening in the suburb of Los Angeles where the Rileys live. War worker Riley has just returned to the bosom of his family and is receiving a communique on current events at home. Hey, Pop, are you going to be busy after dinner? I don't know what you and your wife. 
Well, you know that rabbit hut you built me? Yeah. Well, I think we've got to add some guest rooms. Not then, don't, Junior. When I built you that hutch, I explained to you that it was only for one rabbit. I know, Pop, but you should explain it to the rabbit. <laughs> Say, uh, how's about starting dinner, Dumplin'? Just a minute, dear. What's your hurry? Uh, I'm just using strategy. Just once I want to reach for some meat without getting slashed by your Uncle Baxter. <laughs> How you exaggerate. Uncle Baxter isn't a big eater. Of course, he does like to nibble now and then. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen the way he nibbles. <laughs> this morning, there was a foxhole in the chocolate cake. <laughs> well, last night he had a headache. He thought a bite to eat would draw the blood from his head. What we need is something to draw his head from the icebox. <laughs> oh, hello, Daddy. Hello, Dad. Dad, what were you talking about when I came in? Well, I was saying that your mother's uncle is... Never a... mind, Riley. Hmm. No free speech anymore. <laughs> well, my dear children. Uh, hello, Uncle hello. Max. Now, don't tell me it's dinner time already. <laughs> We don't have to tell you. You got a stomach with a built-in clock. <laughs> well, yes, working outdoors certainly does sharpen one's appetite. Yeah. Uh, Uncle Baxter, tell me one thing. Did you pull up them weeds in the backyard? No, but I did something more important. I counted them. <laughs> you counted them? Precisely. Mm. The breeding habits of weeds fascinate me. There are 82 more weeds today than there were yesterday. Baxter, you promised Riley you'd weed the victory garden for him. Oh, and so I shall, next week. Um, until then, I shall be busy writing an article for Better Homes and Gardens, entitled, Take Heed, the Weed. <laughs> Baxter, if you don't get a job pretty soon, you're going to find moss growing on you, and then I'll write an article entitled, Take Hold, the Mold. <laughs> Goodness sake, stop bickering, you two. Oh, I almost forgot, Uncle Baxter. Here's a letter came for you. Oh, for me? Well, it's from my brother Buckley in New York. Excuse me, I must see what good old Buckley has to say. Oh, what's Uncle Buckley say? And we'll see as soon as I find my glasses. <laughs> if I know that big mouth, he'll have plenty to say. Now, Riley, you only met Uncle Buckley once at our wedding. What a chiseler. <laughs> I invite him to the wedding. He eats all the sandwiches. Drinks all the charged water. Dances with all the dames. Then for a wedding present, he offers me a free chance on a punch board. <laughs> he meant to buy us a real gift later on, but you know, with Uncle Buckley, he'd have a thousand dollars one day and nothing the next day. Well, I met him. It must have been the next day. <laughs> children, children, great news. My brother Buckley's ship has come in at last. Listen to this. Dear Baxter, glad to hear how well you are doing with the Rileys. What he means is how well you are doing the Rileys. <laughs> I am now president of a million-dollar concern which is rapidly expanding. Could let you in on the ground floor, wish you were here to discuss. But of course you have your own large affairs to think of. Ah, that's the way it always was with Buckley. Have a thousand dollars one day and a million dollars the next. Hey, Baxter... Hmm? If you was in New York, he'd give you a good job, wouldn't he? Yes, he does seem eager to have me by his side. <laughs> Uncle Baxter, I just had one of my greatest ideas. Seeing that Uncle Buckley needs you, why don't you go to New York? What, and leave you all to shift for yourselves? <laughs> oh, no, I couldn't be so selfish. 
much. But, Uncle Baxter, if it meant a new start for you, we wouldn't mind your going. We'll be brave. <laughs> but, children, this little nest has become home to me. Ah, oh, this little nest will not miss one little bird. <laughs> a vulture. <laughs> it would be the making of you, Uncle Baxter. New York. What a town. The Empire State. The Waldorf Astoria. The Fulton Fish Market. But, Riley, Uncle Baxter hasn't enough money to go to New York. But he's going to have. How? I've got a little dough saved up, and I'm going to use it to start Baxter climbing up the ladder of success to Uncle Buckley's ground floor. What do you say? Oh, Riley, that's a wonderful idea. You know, it does sound attractive, huh? By Jove, I do it. Boy, Uncle Baxter, right after Grub, you and me are going downtown and buy a ticket on the fastest train they've got. Boy, we've been in line here for three hours. You're next, Riley. Go on, speak up. Speak up. Uh, yes, sir. What is it, please? Uh, we want a reservation for New York. A drawing room will do. On your fastest train. <laughs> uh, uh, what year do you want to go? <laughs> the best trains are sold out months in advance. Next, please. Uh, have you any trains going to New York? A any trains at all? Anything with a lower berth? Or... Berth? We haven't even got a chair for three weeks. But, my dear fellow, I've got to get to New York immediately. There must be some way. Sure. Can you operate a hand car? Hey, bud. How about a bus for New York? There's anything with seats in <laughs> Hey, Joe. Here's a guy who wants a seat to New York. <laughs> Riley, have pity. We've been all over town. There's no way to get to New York. Maybe you could take a trolley. Keep asking for transfers. <laughs> look, look, there's a place. The Crow Flies Travel Bureau. I am not going to New York by crow. <laughs> look at that sign. Go east by bus. Only $21. Come on, let's try this. This shabby place? How can they get me to New York for $21? Well, this guy can do it cheap because he's down in the basement and he ain't got no overhead except the street. Well, what'll it be, gents? The Crow Flies Travel Bureau at your service? But that uh, Riley's my name. My, my uncle here wants to go to New York by bus. New York, eh? Yeah. You mean New York, New York? <laughs> yeah, right outside of Brooklyn, Brooklyn. <laughs> Well, I'll get you to New York in a jiffy. I mean, for $21? Absolutely. I don't believe it. Uncle, you're practically standing right in Times Square. Now, let's see. Uh, where are we now? Uh... Well, that's a nice way to start. We're in Los Angeles. Okay. We start from Los Angeles, and we jump you over the pothole of Texas. Texas? So far, south. Texas. There's a place I always wanted to see. Uncle Baxter, you're a lucky guy. And from Texas, he goes right to New York, huh? Well, practically. Mm -hmm. In Texas, he hops a different bus, which shoots him right through to Painted Hat, Oklahoma, where uh, he has a four-day hangover. Shut <laughs> up, boy, Uncle Baxter. You'll be seeing America through bloodshot eyes. <laughs> four days? Well, can't you get me quicker connection? Why, sure, Uncle. Certainly. 
I can reroute you to Wishing Well, Missouri, which will save you 20 minutes. <laughs> then, only three days later, we whisk you over to Pig's Eye, Kentucky. <laughs> Pig's Eye. There's a place I always wanted to see. The Old South. Yep, and from Kentucky, the next jump is up the good old Mississippi River. Ain't that romantic? A bus up the Mississippi. <laughs> uh, can he leave tomorrow? Sure, but it ain't a bus. It's a boat. I can't ride on a boat. I'd be seasick. Ah, oh, why, just think of them moonlight nights on the Mississippi. With the banjo twanging and the nice cool glass of that crinoline. <laughs> Uncle Baxter, you'll be a new man when you get off the boat in Chicago. Riley, the Mississippi does not run through Chicago. Well, that's right. The boat takes you up to Cairo, Illinois. And get this, man. What? No waiting at all. I shoot you up the Ohio River on a launch. But, but, but. And in no time at all, you're safe and sound in Custis Cross in Missouri. <laughs> no crow ever flew like this. <laughs> no, but now you're in Custis Crossing. And don't forget, this trip is only $21. Yes, I know. But how, may I ask, do I get out of Custer's Crossing? Hey, can you row a boat, Uncle? No, I cannot row a boat. I want a bus to you here to New York. New York? Ain't that kind of an out-of-the-way place? <laughs> Look, I'm sorry, mister. We don't have any connections, but I didn't Custer's Crossing. Don't forget, there's a war going on. Then I'll wait till it's over. You can't do that. Uncle Buckley's waiting for you in New York. Riley, when you can offer me a direct route to New York, I will go. Until then, I will be forced to remain in your small and not too comfortable guest room. Hmm. Ain't them relatives murder, Mr. Riley? Yeah. Yeah, he's been a grindstone on my neck for two years. Well, Jermaine. What? Listen. Huh? For five bucks, I know a voodoo woman who'd sell you go-away powders. <laughs> They're great on relatives. They are. Oh, no, thanks, just the same. Look, why don't you just lock them out? I, I couldn't do that. You see, he'd done me a favor once. Two years ago, he gave me a pint of blood. Yeah? And ever since then, he's been taking it back drop by drop. <laughs> Back to the life of Riley. 24 hours have passed, but to Riley it only seems like a year because Uncle Baxter is still on his hands. Don't take it so hard, Riley. Something may turn up. I don't know, Dumplin'. All day long at the plant, I couldn't get it out of my mind. I was working on a big bomber, and I kept thinking if only I could smuggle that plane out of the plant, we could fly Uncle Baxter to New York. Smuggle out a big bomber? Daddy! I know it's a nutty idea where you're going to get gas today. Huh? <laughs> hey, Flap, we're famous. Look at Mom, our family gets mentioned in the paper. Oh, what's it say to you? It's in the social notes. It says, Baxter Turnbull, prominent West Coast magnate, will be super chiefing out of L.A. today to join his brother Buckley Turnbull, well-known New York industrialist. Super chiefing out. He ain't even bussing out. Bob, <laughs> what's this West Coast magnate? That's another name for Santa Monica Beachcomber. <laughs> Look at them suitcases of Baxter's. Standing there so near the door. So near and yet still here. Say, Pop, there must be some way to get Uncle Baxter out of town. Not a chance. One time I even thought of trying to mail him back. Oh, what an idea. He'd be covered with stamps. 
He wouldn't cost so much. Third class. He'd have to go first class. He's got writing on him. He's got memories of Mabel tattooed on his chest. Well, my dear children. Junior, hide your piggy bank. Here comes that West Coast magnet. <laughs> well, children, I've tried all day. Still no transportation. So if I stay a few more weeks, you won't think I'm imposing, will you? Well, since you can't get away, you're welcome to stay, Uncle Baxter. Thank you, Margaret. Thank you, Riley. I didn't say nothing. <laughs> Be serene, Riley. Count your blessings. Well, I'll unpack my bags again, eh? Call me when dinner's ready, won't you? Just unpack some pajamas and a toothbrush. I ain't giving up hope yet. <laughs> I sure thought next time them bags moved, I'd see them going the other way. Well, Babs, help me carry the dinner into the dining room, will you? Yes, Mother. You, Riley, it's me, Waldo Benny. Oh, hello, Waldo, come on in. <laughs> hey, Waldo, how come that wife of yours let you out of the house? Riley, when you got a wife like mine, you got to use strategy. Yeah. This is the night she plays gin rummy with her Aunt Gussie. And you know what I did? No, what? This afternoon, I stole the ace, king, and jack. So they had to send me out for a new deck of cards. That's using the old noggin, Waldo. Oh, I've been doing that for almost a year now. <laughs> I always take different cards. Pretty soon I'll have a whole deck of my own, and then I can play solitaire. <laughs> Waldo, when a man's outnumbered at his house, he gets to be pretty foxy, huh? Riley. Right. I came to offer my sympathy. Uh, I hear your uncle isn't leaving after all. Ah, uh, the seven-year itch is still with us. <laughs> Riley, I have a way to get your uncle out of town. Waldo, if you can show me how to get Baxter a trip to New York, I'll never forget you. I can do it. I'm an expert on traveling. On account of someday, I'm going to run away myself. What? I knew I could never get away on a train or bus. They'd nab me, sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I've kept in touch with another way out. What way? Every day of the week, somebody drives back east. Last week, there were 17 departures by auto. This week it fell off to 12, but then... Now, now, never mind how many went. Is there one more going? Yes. Yes. There's one going tonight, right through to New York. And there's room for one more passenger in that car, Riley. Waldo, that one more is going to be my Uncle Baxter. Go on, go phone the carpool. Tell him to come and pick up Baxter right away. Pleasure. Baxter, come in here. Hey, Babs, quick, come in. Junior, don't unpack them pajamas. Riley, what's wrong? What's wrong? Nothing, nothing. Everything's Jake. Uncle Baxter, goodbye. I, 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 I mean, listen. I got a way to get you to New York in a guy's car. <laughs> but this is so sudden. Hey, Riley. Hey, Pop, what's up? Daddy, what's happened? Hank, wish Uncle Baxter luck. He's leaving. I am? Junior, bring back his bags. He's leaving tonight. Okay. Babs, kiss your uncle goodbye. He's going any minute. Oh. Uncle Baxter, meet me. This is the smartest decision you ever made. <laughs> Order, 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 everybody. Now, uh, this here is an important event, and time is getting short. Uh, this being a farewell beefsteak banquet, only with lamb stew. We all want to say goodbye to Uncle Baxter. I'll be the toast mixer. Uncle Baxter being guest of honor, we got to let bygones go by and say something nice about him, even if it ain't so. <laughs> okay. Now, now, first, I'm calling on a young lady who has been a member of this family all her life. I think she's kind of cute. I give you my favorite daughter, Miss Babs Riley. Oh, Daddy. I don't know what to say except, well, goodbye, Uncle Baxter, and, and we hope you have a great success in New York, and good luck, and 
Oh, dear, I'm really going to miss you, Uncle Baxter. Babs, my dear, I'm touched, really. Ah, nah, no weeping until he gets in the car to go. Here, Uncle, have a cigar. Thank you. Have two cigars, one for the trip. Here, let me bite off the end for you, Uncle Baxter. You overwhelmed me, Riley. Now I don't feel like going at all. Then you better bite off the end yourself. (laughs) Now, now the next speaker is a young man who is a gentleman and not much of a scholar. My favorite son, I give you Chester A. Riley, Jr. Well, uh, unaccustomed as I am to public speaking, I just want to say that what the last speaker says is what I want to say. Uh, especially goodbye, Uncle Baxter. Uh, I mean, good luck, Uncle Baxter. <laughs> oh, wait, I ain't through yet. And I hope you make a million bucks with Uncle Buckley. Thank you, my boy. <clears throat> and in response, I can only... Wait a minute, it ain't your turn yet. <laughs> the next speaker is a lady who is not only Uncle Baxter's niece, but is the best cook in 48 states. My favorite wife. I give you Mrs. Peg Riley. <laughs> Oh, dear. Well, Uncle Baxter, we... We've loved having you here with us, and we'll miss you terribly. And and I wish you'd change your mind, Uncle Baxter, and stay here. And now the next speaker. (laughs) I am now introducing our guest of honor. He's a Harvard man on account of he was kicked out of Yale. (laughs) Your uncle and mine, I give you, and you can have him, Baxter's uncle. Mr. Toastmaster, my dear friends, I am almost at a loss for words. However, since brevity is the soul of wit, I shall only say for all you've done for me, a thousand thanks. One for each meal. (laughs) And in appreciation, I have a little gift for each of you. A small expression of my deep affection. Here, Peg, Riley, Mab, Treasure them till we meet again at our reunion banquet in my penthouse in New York City. Oh, Uncle Baxter, you bought us all presents? Oh, well, gee, we, we didn't expect nothing like this. Oh, I, I've got mine unwrapped. What is it? Look, it's a picture of Uncle Baxter. Oh. <laughs> How nice. I, I wonder what mine can yeah, be. Why, mine's a picture of Uncle Baxter, too. <laughs> uh, uh, what's yours, Junior? A picture of Uncle Baxter. Just what I needed. <laughs> what's yours, Pop? What do you think? (laughs) Uncle Baxter, when we look at your mug, your absence will be missed. And now for my speech. I got a little poem which I wrote up out of my own head. This poem was wrote a year ago so as to be ready for this event when you finally moved out. (laughs) Let's hear it. (laughs) Adios, Uncle Baxter. It's time for us to part. There's a great big lump of sadness in the middle of my heart. Farewell, dear Uncle Baxter. It's time to say goodbye. But if you say you're going to stay, I'll poke you in the eye. Hey, Pop, there's the car out there. Yeah, come on, Baxter. Get his bags, Junior. Here's your hat, Uncle Baxter. No, no, no. We're not going to a fire. Here's your bunch. Come Come on, on. come on. Stop pulling at my sleeve. Get in, brother. 
brother, get in. I'm four and one half minutes behind my schedule. Get in, Uncle Baxter. One moment. Is this the car in which I am to travel 3,000 miles? A small convertible coupe? What's the difference? It'll be cozier. Oh, but Riley, it's crowded already. It's full of luggage and people. Plenty of room. Jump right in. Am I expected to sit on the lady's lap, sir? No, no, Baxter. You sit on the outside because you get off first at 42nd and Times Square. <laughs> All right, move over, Bessie. Get in, brother. Yeah, go on, get in, Baxter. I am endeavoring to wedge well, myself in, Riley. Huh. Madam, I am Baxter Turnbull. Now, we got plenty of time to get acquainted. Shut the door, brother. I'll shut it. There you are, Uncle Baxter. Uh, here, hold your suitcase on your lap. <clears throat> okay, mister. Well, I oh, goodbye now to Uncle Buckley. Goodbye. Goodbye, Uncle Baxter. Hold your hat crossing the Rockies. Goodbye. Huh? No use waving no more, Dumplin'. The car's out of sight. I'm going in the house now and count the rooms. <laughs> Riley, you know, it's, it's going to seem strange without him. Yeah. Listen. Ain't the house nice and quiet? And look, my Morris chair. Now anytime I want to sit it, I can walk to it without having to race him for it. Oh, dear. I got to get acquainted with my Morris chair all over again. Good evening, Morris. My name's Riley. Remember me? Well, for goodness sake, talking to an old chair. Morris understands me, okay? Ah, <laughs> uh, this is living. He's gone. The leech who just dropped in for a couple of days has stayed two years. Peg. Peg the door. The door, he's back. Wait. He can't be. He, he didn't like that car. He made them bring him back. I'll see who it is. Yeah, go ahead, Junior. Oh, hello. Relax, Pop. It ain't Uncle Baxter. Oh, boy, what a relief. Who is it, Junior? Who is it? <laughs> Why, Riley, it's me. Your old Uncle Buckley, fresh from New York. <laughs> Uncle Buckley? How in the a world... A little surprise for you, my dear children. I just stopped in to spend a couple of days with you. Uh, my trunks will be here in the morning. <laughs> ah, this is restful. Peg, <laughs> look! Already he's got my Morris chair! Statements regarding the nutritional value of meat made on this program are accepted by the Council on Foods and Nutrition of the American Medical Association. Well, now that you've finished supper, Uncle Buckley... Oh, excuse me, my dear niece. I'll just have another piece of your delicious pie. Hmm. Another piece? Be serene, Riley. Count your blessings. Ah... Uh... Ah, wonderful wife you have. Wonderful pie she bakes. Uh, oh, but, Uncle Buckley, you still haven't told us why you came to Los Angeles. Oh, that? Yeah. Well, the way I see it, New York is finished. Done. Soon it'll be a veritable ghost town. The future belongs to the Great West. 
Uncle Buckley, what about that million-dollar business you had in New York? What business? Oh, yeah. the, the business? Oh, 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 yes. Oh, yes. Well, you see, my dear Riley, my correspondence in that concern was voluminous. Tremendous. When, when postal rates went up recently, it wiped out my entire reserve. <laughs> Uncle Buckley, we might as well start right now. We can't invite you here with us more than a couple of days. We ain't gonna have room. Oh, my dear fellow, I'll just rough it in Baxter's old room. No, you won't, Uncle Buckley. The only reason we kept your brother Baxter in that room for two years, he'd done me a big favor once. He'd give me a pint of his blood two years ago. His blood? It will interest you to know that four years ago, I gave Baxter a pint of blood. Yes, indeed. As I see it, you have my blood in your veins, nephew Riley. Thank Thank you. Hear that? For two years, Baxter's been making me pay for that blood. And all the time, he was nothing but the middleman. <laughs> well, Uncle Baxter's gone, but it looks like Uncle Buckley will be an even sharper thorn in Riley's side. Follow the life of Riley, starring William Bendix and sponsored by the American Meat Institute, next week at this same time. Uncle Baxter was played by Hans Conry. The program was directed by Don Bernard with music by Lou Cosmo. William Bendix appears by arrangement with Hal Roach. This is Ken Niles inviting you to share the life of Riley once again next week. is the Blue Network. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Sherlock Holmes, followed by My Favorite Husband. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.